We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. We have a special guest with us here on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, uh, a legend uh, in, in the game. I remember watching his commercials. <laughs> right. uh, has some of my favorite commercials I've ever seen on ESPN. We have a local legend in the game. We have John Clayton on the line. John, what is going on? Gee, kind of a quiet day. I mean, uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson's making his media tour and uh, you know, burning everything up. So I guess it's a, a good time to be talking Seahawks, Russell Wilson, and many more things. Uh, before we even get to that, John, did you get to watch the Super Bowl? I know you're having some troubles I did. there. Yeah, it was it was an adventure because I have Direct TV, which is obviously an adventure in itself. And went through the two weeks of no King Five uh, and no local antenna, and had to go to Lowcast, and that's kind of a. It's interesting to try to do that because it cuts off like every five ten minutes. And then uh, Saturday night, they were able to reach an agreement with Directv and Com uh, and uh, Cairo, so I was able to watch the game. But fortunately, by reaching out on Twitter, having over a thousand responses, I actually found somebody that was able to come over uh, as an engineer and install the antenna bringing also the antenna with me. So I now I'm covered because I'm figuring sometime in the next couple of months, they'll probably cut off Como and they'll probably cut off uh, Fox, <laughs> Fox 13. So it's like now I'm covered because now I've got the antenna. Oh, man, look at John saving the day, getting getting the agreement str- uh, stricken. Stricken a word? Yeah, that's a word. Uh, struck? Uh, basically getting things done. I appreciate the fact that you, everyone on social media helped out. Uh, that was that was a, a fun saga to watch unfold. I'm glad you got to watch it. Well, it was weird time. because I actually, I mean, again, you're thinking about this is the first Super Bowl I've missed since 1983. Ooh. And here it was. We're getting down to the last minute, and now I wouldn't be able to watch it on TV. I'm just fortunate by you know, having as many Twitter, Twitter followers as I do, that uh, people were reaching out like crazy. You know, I had different people offering me this, offering me that, you know, ripping uh, direct TV. So uh, it turned turned out well. And again, the big thing is, you know, the, my, my problem for my wife, Pat, who's in a wheelchair, 
I mean, she needs that TV. Uh, not because I mean, it's watching three hours of streaming is not good for her. So she was able to watch the entire game, even though it was Super Bowl 55. Uh, now we got the Super Bowl out of the way a little bit, and we'll come back to that uh, a little bit. Let's talk about Russell Wilson, like you said, going on this media tour, uh, speaking out in a way we've never really seen before, even bigger than last year when he you know, basically demanded that the team get superstars because the roster stunk. Uh, in general, all his comments on the DP show, on CBS, uh, I forget where else he, he spoke somewhere, even on his Zoom call on Tuesday morning. Colin Coward. Yeah, he was on the Coward show last week. Um, what have you just made of Russ just, like you said, just burning stuff down right now, throwing everyone under the bus? Well, there's always an agenda with his agent, Mark Rogers. And I think, you know, part of it he's trying to execute because, you know, uh, naturally, I think he was, you know, certainly frustrated. And certainly he was, because I know I even wrote this for Monday before all this stuff coming up. It's like, you know, here you have Russell Wilson at the Super Bowl sitting next to Roger Goodell and watching what happened to him in the Ram game happen to Patrick Mahomes in the Chief game, where all of a sudden, you know, the Rams and Tampa Bay both go cover two, cover four. And then there was, you know, five guys in coverage, two guys deep. You know, they were able to rush four, get to Russ, and uh, they rushed four and, you know, on a bad offensive line of the Chiefs and got to Patrick Mahomes. So he basically watched what killed him at the end of the season, you know, with that playoff loss to the Rams. Now, I think that, uh, you know, you can see that he is frustrated, you know, from some standpoint, but he also, it, it, it didn't seem real sincere when he says, I've got to do better because it's like, he was throwing the offensive line off the bus. He was throwing the front office off the bus. And say what you want about the offensive line, it was better than it was in the last couple of years because Brandon Shell did well, and certainly it hurt when he was out with his injury. Damian Lewis was one of the best rookie offensive linemen as a rookie in the league. You know, Ethan Posick did well. I mean, uh, left guard was a little strained, and Dwayne Brown had a really good season, probably one of his best since coming over for a second-round pick. But, uh, you know, going this tack is not the right thing to do. But, again, it's like uh, we're now seeing this crazy theme where, you know, you got Deshaun Watson. He wants to have more of a voice in personnel and more of a voice in coaching and uh, GM hire. Russ wants to have a voice in uh, coaching and also a voice now in personnel. And I, I just say one simple thing. Russ, you can't hold on to the ball for close to three seconds, according to next-gen stats, and be the fifth uh, quarterback in the league as far as holding onto the ball too much, and then 3.3 in the playoffs, 3.3 seconds. I mean, you need to work with the new offensive coordinator and get rid of the ball quicker. You know, John, I want to go back to the kind of what you implied there about, uh, I don't want to say empowerment, but it's kind of what the NBA has kind of coined lately with LeBron is player empowerment, guys who want more power uh, in their respective sports. Uh, Russell Wilson mentioned Tom Brady specifically. He mentioned LeBron James specifically when he was on the DP show. I mean, even Deshaun Watson's kind of a little bit of that boat. Um, what, do you, what do you think Tom Brady's success has done for players in the NFL in terms of uh, having them aspire to want more control in the organization? Well, I understand that Tom Brady went through his entire New England career with no control because uh, Bill Belichick had all the control. So this was his first year, and it wasn't like you know he got control. The only thing he got control of is that the, against the original wishes of Bruce Arians, they were able to get Antonio Brown, and that was basically it. But it's fine also getting Rob Gronkowski. But, I mean, he basically has no voice in personnel other than making a suggestion that maybe they would go to and do. Uh, so he doesn't have that. <clears throat> Certainly. You can see that you know Aaron Rodgers, uh, he's kind of in that same vein too, and rightfully so because I mean they went behind his back, traded up to get uh, Jordan Love, 
a quarterback, you know, now making him in a position that's like, wait a second, you don't go out and give me a wide receiver or a tight end, and you're giving me Jordan Love to be in the meeting room with, that's gonna, which is shortening my career. But I guess what it's coming down to is now uh, we're in this phase where some of the top quarterbacks want to, uh, you know, have their voice in just about everything. It's like, listen, just, you know, it's good to have some voice because you want the right things for the team and the right things for the players and certainly the quarterback and start recruiting. But again, this is getting to be a little bit too much. At this point, is this relationship, regardless if they, let's say they go to the Super Bowl next year and they win it, is this relationship going to get better or are we looking at it from a standpoint where there's nothing that we, that can settle this at this point, they got to split one of these two up. You know, we watched this with Richard Sherman because he got to the stage where you know, he was wanting more involvement and making suggestions that was driving him crazy in personnel. But the relationship's going to be fine, and the reason is they're not trading him. I mean, he's going to be the quarterback of the team next year, the year after that, until his contract runs out. And so he's not going anywhere. And so I, you know, a lot of this, I think, is you know, the people behind him trying to promote some different things because I think that Mark Rogers, the agent, realizes you know, with the cap situation the way it is, you know, they may need to come to Russell and do a replacement deal. You know, Mark is a baseball guy. Uh, he's going to ask for Russell to get more money. And so they won't, I'm sure at the, they want at the very least to go to Russell and try to do some kind of a replacement deal to get cap room. Because again, you realize the headaches that are going to be involved with that. But again, we, we start now start to see this, you know, every off season. And I think it's more his people that's doing this than anything else. But uh, it, it becomes, I'm sure, irritating for John Snyder. Uh, irritating for Pete Carroll, but again, the relationship's still going to stay the way he is because he is the quarterback of the Seahawks. Now, how do you see this relationship going moving forward? We see what Pete wants to do. At the end of the season, he said, we got to run the ball better. You see that Russ, he is wanting to throw. He wants a better O-line. He wants all these things. Is this going to be a point where there is no point of return? Like, at let's say they don't win a Super Bowl in the next three years. Pete's here through 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Russ is here through 2024. What happens then? Well, I mean, you judge it uh, on that next contract, but uh, you know, he'll be here for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, but, I, but the thing is, they did get him what he wanted, and I think he does sign off in this signing of the offensive coordinator because you know, it gives them a better running game, but it also gives them an up-to-date running game. You know, when, uh, you know, what you can see is that everybody in the league, a lot of coaches in that and a lot of teams want to get the uh, Kyle Shanahan, former Mike Shanahan uh, offense going with the running game because it's the most sophisticated, even though, again, what you do is that you have basically five or six plays and you look the same at the very beginning, but with motion, with uh, blocking changes and everything else, you have so many different ways to do it and you set it up so that you can't guess if it's going to be a run or a pass if you're on defense. I mean, you watch it uh, with San Francisco and uh, the Rams going against the Seattle, and it's always a guessing game. But also, there is more running in it. It's a faster paced run. You have the ability to do the RPOs. You have the ability to do tempo. And really, what they need to do, and you look at how that offense runs, sometimes you don't even have to have a good back. I mean, look at the backs that were you know, with the Rams. I mean, it was great when it was Todd Gurley, but it had a rotation of three. You're able to run the ball. San Francisco, they kept on going through different backs. And now, you know, Seattle has to see if they're going to bring Chris Carson back if they can and where it's going to go. But in the end, I mean, you're getting an offense. And then you also look at the stats, whether it's Jared Goff, whether it's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 
you get rid of the ball quicker. I mean, you're getting rid of the ball in like 2.4, 2.5 seconds as opposed to 2.9 and 3.3. And so that's what needs to happen. And so, you know, Russ needs to have an offense that gives him the runs, also gives him the ability, as we saw in the second half of the season, to try to conquer some of the cover two stuff that went against him. But again, you know, he got what he wants, uh, even though, again, People look at it like, oh, no, they're going to go back to prehistoric times and run the ball more. Yeah, they are going to run the ball more because they were 60-40 past the run last year, and uh, that's a bad formula for this team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, uh, we're gonna. I want to get to Shane Waldron, the new OC, and some free agent stuff as well. But I want to. I want to give you a hypothetical here, John. Let's say I'm. I'm the whoever, whatever the lackey is that's in terms of uh, that's in charge of running through social media for Pete Carroll and John Snyder. It might be Ben Malcolmson or someone. Let's say you know they sit down, they see all the things that Russ has said in the last like mm, four days, and they see even DK's comments. They show Pete. They show John. They show Matt Thomas. You're you're the Seahawks brain trust. What do you do? Just let it go. I mean, stay quiet on it because, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's not like this is the first time he's spoken out on something and uh, there's a, a certain frustration, but now it's a matter of, you know, getting through the frustration and then start to work on the uh, 2021 season. And so, you know, uh, Russ probably, I don't know what he's been doing the last month, uh, but he probably needs to have a vacation or something like that because <laughs> uh, it's like, uh, it's like, okay. Uh, and, you know, naturally, uh, He's going to have his people, you know, have him try to take some different campaign, whatever it's going to be. But you just kind of let it go because, you know, if, if you let it linger because you know it's going to continue to a certain degree, then it's only going to cause more irritation. So in the end, I think you just let the thing go. You know, DK used the words figured us out, you know, uh, when he was on the podcast with Brandon, uh, Brandon Marshall, I think it was. No, was that Brandon? No. Ocho Cinco. Oh, no, it was Brandon Marshall. Oh, it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. So DK used the words. Teams figured us out. Um, Russell basically okayed those words as well. Just how did you see the second half of the season go for the Seahawks? Do you think they got figured out, or was it something more? Yes. Oh, they got figured out. I mean, because what ended up happening is that uh, they let Russ cook against bad defenses early, and then once the defenses got a little bit better, the the cooking got burnt, and so uh, that was that was basically the problem. Because again, I mean, you know, they go five and zero. Oh, against uh, defenses like Atlanta, Minnesota, Dallas, you know, some of the worst defenses in the league. Miami was okay, but they weren't great. But you look at those five games, and you didn't see great defenses. And so they go out, and now they're scoring 34 points a game. Russell's the first half MVP of the league. Everything's going great. 
And so then what teams did is uh, they started to go to the cover two de- defense, or at least cover two, cover four. And so now with the five guys that they uh, have in, uh, in coverage, it starts to minimize some of the play action passes and letting DK Metcalf go deep. And then, uh, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, as the season go, didn't have enough adjustments to be able to get that fixed. And so, uh, you know, Russell kept holding on to the ball more, getting the sacks. And he's right. I mean, 400 sacks plus in his career is way too much. And he took a beating during a lot of these games. But again, you know, that's why they fired Brian Schottenheimer and brought in somebody that can get in uh, an offense that could get Russell to get rid of the ball uh, better. And you notice the way this thing has gone because, uh, you know, it's, you know, you got, you know, Sean McVay who learned the offense from Kyle Shanahan when they're together in, uh, in Washington. Okay. So then here's Matt LaFleur. He ends up going to Tennessee and then, you know, he has a couple great years with, uh, or he actually revitalized the career of Ryan Tannehill, got uh, Derek Henry to be you know, one of the top uh, running backs in the league. And that went. And so then he got the head coaching job at Green Bay. Arthur Smith, who worked with Shanahan at Washington and then uh, took over the offense in Tennessee, got them to win a division. He gets the head coaching job in Atlanta. And so now you can see and you, know, you notice that these guys didn't really call plays until they got to their new teams. And so now in the case of Shane Waldrop, they, Waldron, he can uh, come in. I mean, even though he hasn't called plays, but he knows what that offense is. And, you know, he can work well with Russ and then try to do it. I mean, Russ did like Brian Schottenheimer. That was a good relationship. But the inability to adjust in that second half of the season against better defenses, unfortunately, cost him his job. You mentioned Shane Waldron, and I'll just jump right into it. What were your thoughts on the hire, and how do you see Shane and Russ working together to get a better offensive flow to kind of what Pete is looking for? Actually, not kind of, what Pete yeah. wants. How do you see that working out? I think it's going to work out well because what I looked at is that, okay, that's what he needed. Because, again, uh, you know, they could. I, I didn't think that Anthony Lynn would be a good fit because, I mean, that would be a little more prehistoric in the running game. And that's not necessarily what they need, but they needed to upgrade, you know, the, the, the level and the efficiency of the running game and also the passing offense and also, you know, be a little bit more unpredictable because uh, they were un- they were predictable, particularly in the second half of the season. I think well, he's 41 years old, seems to have a real good personality. I mean, he's, you know, he's also a former tight ends coach. And so you figure he'll get a little more two tight ends, even though they were you know among the eight or nine teams that were using more two tight end offenses than anybody else. And then it's a matter of figuring out who's going to be the third receiver. It's going to be David Moore or whoever it's going to be. But I think that uh, there's plenty of talent, but it's a matter of taking that offense and updating. And I think Shane can do a good job, even though he's not called plays before. All right. Now, Mike did mention the Super Bowl. And personally, I think Pete was probably kicking his feet up thinking, (laughs) I told you guys running the ball works out. Is that the blueprint for Pete, what he just saw with the Buccaneers and what they did offensively and even defensively? Is that what Pete is looking at and saying, bingo, this is what I want to do to get back to the game and potentially win another Super Bowl with Russell Wilson and company? Yeah, there was a lot of things that I think uh, Pete can look at, <clears throat> needs to study, and needs to refine. <clears throat> because you know, certainly you know, Leonard Floyd did a good job. I mean, not Leonard Floyd, but uh, you know, uh, Fournette did such a great job of running the football. And you kind of wonder. If they can't get Chris Carson done, do they go for Leonard Fournette because he's a big physical back? And it's funny because you know, as the season went on, uh, the Bucks, like the Seahawks, became a 60-40 
team uh, throwing the football. And even in the playoff games, they ran it so few times. But in this game, particularly going against the Kansas City with the type of offense that they have, you know, running the football was a smart thing to do because it keeps uh, Patrick Mahomes off the field. So I think that they learned something from that. And again, it confirms because, again, you look at Green Bay. Green Bay ran the ball more than they had probably in the last 10 years. You look at the, you know, the success of Tennessee, the success of those coaches that run the Shanahan system, and now they have that in their pocket right now with Shane. The second thing is that uh, you know, what they need to learn is now what to do when you are covered up by a decent cover two defense, and so how do you beat that, and what do you do? And part of it is running the football. Chiefs couldn't do it because they were trailing. So that, that option was not there. The final thing is that uh, you know, they've got to make sure they're solid enough on the offensive line. You know, Russell is not give, giving the line credit for being better than what they were the year before, but still there's more work to do. And they also have to solidify things, which the Bucks have done, to be able to rush four and drop seven and have success rushing four and dropping seven. You know, minimizing what they only had, I think, five or six blitzes in the game, and this is a blitzing team. And so, uh, you know, they uh, when you need to blitz, you can blitz. But I think if they can make sure you get back to kind of old Seahawks football in the sense that you can rush four and drop seven, then you're in much better shape. You know, regardless of, uh, you know, how Russ feels or how Shane Waldron feels, we know that they're going to play Seahawk quote-unquote football, which is Pete Ball, uh, going forward. And that's going to require, you know, a certain type of personnel. So let's get into some of these guys that they have they don't have under contract in 2021. We talked a lot about the run game <clears throat> thus far. Um, is, is Chris Carson a priority then if they're going to go back to this? He's the best back they've had since Beast Mode. You know, if you're Pete and yeah. John, what do you, what do, you do with, with Chris Carson? Well, I mean, uh, there's a couple options. Uh, I mean, certainly he's the right back for this offense. I mean, you still worry that uh, he's probably not going to be a back that's going to be healthy 16 games. That's got to be a concern. <clears throat> but what's the price? Because, uh, you know, the way things are going to be, if the cap's going to be 180 to $181 million, you're not going to have a lot of players getting $10-plus million contracts. And so, for example, I went back and looked at uh, last year in unrestricted free agency, and there was 29 backs that netted uh, deals worth $10 million or more, only 29. And there may be fewer of that because basically you're going back close to the, 19, the 2018 cap. And the 2018 cap had 155 guys making $10 million a year or more, where last year at the end of the season there was 209. And now there's 186 currently under contract that are $10 million a year or more. And that's not good <clears throat> because, you know, so for example, I mean, this could pour, take uh, Shaquille Griffin and t instead of him getting the $14 million he would if it was negotiating last year, it may take him down to 10 And I think in the case of, uh, you know, what, what you see from Carson, who is right now rated to be the second-best running back available in free agency, is probably going to take him maybe down to seven or six. The franchise number is going to probably end up being eight. You know, Aaron Jones is going to probably get the best contract, but that's going to be probably eight or nine. You know, I have, I have a theory with uh, with Chris Carson. I wonder if uh, how you think about this. I, I think what's going to happen with him is he'll test the market, um, and mm -hmm. he'll find out that the market f getting paid for running backs from other teams is not great. Like Melvin Gordon learned this lesson the hard way, whatever year that was. The Le'Veon deal ended up being terrible for uh, New York. Like running backs are getting paid still, but they're getting paid by the original team. I think Chris Carson's going to get out there, try to get a deal, not see that it's the mark is what he thought and have to end up settling. And I think he could end up settling for a deal that gets him back here. You think mm -hmm. that can happen? Oh, yeah, I think so. Because remember, he's a seventh-round pick. So except for getting the escalator up to 2, 000, 2 million one 
$133 million is that, uh, you know, uh, if he tests the market and finds out that he's only going to get six or seven, then I think he'll come back here because he knows things here and he likes it here. And uh, that would be great because if you, if, just to your point, sure, you know, Christian McCaffrey got $16 million and what played maybe three games. You know, Joe Mixon got $12.5 million and barely played this year. And so, and with the cap being so far down, I mean, it's going to be uh, not a lot of running backs getting a lot of money. I mean, go back just in unrestricted free agency. We're talking unrestricted free agency. You know what the highest contract uh, for a running back was last year? The answer is Melvin Gordon, who got a two-year deal at 16. That's only $8 million a year. And if indeed the way things are going to go, if there's a 20% discount on the uh, and, and positions at tight end and running back under the franchise tags, there's a good chance that uh, no back is going to get you know eight million. I mean, maybe it's going to be Aaron Jones, but uh, right now, if Chris Carson's thinking ten mil, it's not happening. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about the cornerback uh, market this year. I think there's interesting vet names out there like Patrick Peterson or even Richard Sherman. Um, and obviously, Sha- Shaquille Griffin's the big one here. A lot of Seahawks fans are probably like, ah, let him walk. We're not going to do that. Um, but I think they're underestimating the value of just that position and what, Shaq's 25. Um, like you said, he's probably looking for around $14 million. That's the Marcus Peters uh, number. I think uh, there's some other guys at that spot if you're the Seahawks like we know what Shaq wants Shaq wants to be paid if you're the Seahawks what do you do um with a guy who's 25 years old and plays a premium position and he's the only pro bowler you've ever drafted on defense since 2012 well I I think what you do if you can't get a deal done with him and again I would I mean again I hope Shaquille doesn't get mad at me for saying this (laughs) again I mean he because again I don't know how many cornerbacks are going to get more than 10 million dollars this year under this market and so maybe one of the options for Seattle, because I, I think, number one, they can't afford to lose him. He's too valuable to the team. He's their number one cornerback, and even though he had the slow start, he really played well through probably three quarters of the season. And so, uh, you know, you could put the franchise tag on him at 12, and so maybe that's you know, buys him time to be able to work out some kind of a long-term deal because, you know, the one thing that you know, as bad as it's going to be for getting contracts for players this year, it's going to be so much better in 2022 because you, you got uh, probably a new uh, streaming deal that's going to be done. I mean, you're going to have more TV contract stuff that's going to come due. And so you put all that together and it's like, you know, if, if even just buying a year at 12, you know, keeps him on the team, but also it's kind of a two for one because, you know, on top of it, you also have a pretty quick linebacker in his brother, Shaquem, and you know, he'll obviously want to stay. They're both so good in the locker room and all those different things. So, uh, you know, I think at the very least, cause, you know, I, I just figured if you go back to 2011, that was the last time there was a flat cap, all the franchise tags dropped 20%. And so there was 20 players that got the franchise tags and one got a transition tag. And so, uh, you know, they can maybe do one of two things. They can put the franchise tag on at, uh, tw- uh, ten, at 12, maybe the transition tag, and then, you know, buy them time to see if anybody is going to bid on them and all those different things. But I think that, you know, they need to keep Shaquille Griffin. Staying with the defense, I want to bring up K.J. Wright because he played his 10th season and he looked as if he was one of the best linebackers in the league. He was incredible. And he topped what he did the previous year. What do you do with him? Because he is going into his 11th season. He banged out the whole season last year. Are the Seahawks, do you think the Seahawks should end up just keeping him or let him walk? Because they do. They did draft well with Jordan Brooks. He panned out and showed promise. What to do there? I think if you can get him close to the number that he had on a $6.5 million contract, that's what you do. 
Now, again, <clears throat> he may want to try to go for eight or nine, and I think that's in the case it's going to be too much because then you can go to Cody Barton mm. and have him uh, be the, uh, the the third linebacker, and then you'd have uh, you know. But I just think he's too valuable in so many different ways. He has you know probably his best season or one of his best seasons. Yep. He's so valuable as far as he and Bobby Wagner with leadership that uh, in the end it's like you want those two there because you know remember this team didn't have a positive test for COVID nineteen. Guys like those kept all the young players on defense in line. And so I think you need just not just one, but two. If it's too costly, fine. They can have the option of not paying him. But I think that if he takes six or six and a half, then I think it all works out. You know, there's some guys who are under contract, too, who could be cap casualties or trades or acts to restructure or even just extensions or whatever. Some of the uh, bigger name guys on the team, Quandre Diggs. Um, obviously, they're not going to cut Jamal, but he'd be a ki- uh Candidate for extension, Carlos Dunlap, Tyler Lockett. I think I'm missing one. Dwayne Brown, uh, maybe. Uh, of those guys, um, who do you think, maybe if there was going to be a trade or like a cap casualty in terms of getting cut, who who would you predict I just that think the only, Yeah, I just think the only cap casualty you know, could be Carlos Dunlap, but also if Carlos is smart enough to realize, you know, what, he's 31, 32 years old, he's not going to be able to match a $13 million contract on the street. And so if he can do some kind of a two-year deal, and stay here, it's good for the team. Because you saw, once he got on this team, this team was able to do more four-man rushes on the defensive line. And then his ability, particularly at 285 pounds to play the Leo, it opened things up. Because, you know, when Frank Clark was here, it opened it up for Jaron Reed. Okay? So then uh, now he came, and all of a sudden, Reed starts getting more sacks. So I think if he understands that uh, he's not going to get $13 million a year on the street and comes to some kind of a deal here on a team that he likes, then I think that could work out. If there was going to be, because uh, every year, not every year, but they've done it some of these years where they've traded a guy away, actually in a big deal, not necessarily acquired a guy. If there is going to be someone in a trade this year, who would you predict that be? No, I don't, I don't really think they're going to make a trade because the one thing is, you know, you're still in a pandemic. You still want to have continuity. And, uh, I mean, you don't certainly want to do anything with Quandre Diggs because, you know, he's a guy that can get turnovers. You want to try to do something to keep uh, long-term Jamal Adams because he's so good. Now, he will command, you know, the highest paid safety salary. That one's unavoidable. Uh, and so they have to – and they can probably get a little bit of cap room from him because he's going to be on the 50-year option, but then, which is a little less than 10 mil. But uh, ultimately, I don't know if there's anything that can be traded. I mean, again, if it is, it's not going to be for much value. It may be sixth, seventh-round pick. So uh, I don't think there's going to be too many trades, but hey, it's John Snyder. He's always going to be looking for something. That is true. I do want to talk about the offensive line, and one person, one player that stands out is Ethan Posick. He's moved yep. around, and he played, I would say, pretty damn well for the most part. What do the Seahawks do with him, and if they don't bring him back, how do they try to revamp that center position that needs, if he's gone, they need someone immediately? Yeah, I mean, you saw it didn't work out with B.J. Finney, <laughs> and uh yeah, so that uh, so that option was gone, and he now was traded. Uh, but I think if you can get him in that six seven million dollar range, mm-hmm. you keep him because you keep continuity on the offensive line. Because then you know for sure you got four of the five guys who started back and Posick. Who really that this is his natural position. He's played tackle, he's played guard, but he's best at center, and now he's there. And uh, you know, I think. That, but again, you know, he could get bit up. There's about uh, you know five or six centers that uh, could get. Some you know a, a con- some contracts. Nobody is going to be rich like some of the center contracts in the last couple of years. But I think that they've got to find a way to keep it even. That makes my day. They got to find a way to keep it offensive line. They got Dwayne Brown for one more year, and he's he's getting old. But man, his production has been he's protecting Wilson on that left side. You know uh, that, that 
reminds me, John, if you're if you're in the O line, you're in the O line group chat. You know, it's oh, uh, it's man. Dwayne Brown, Damian Lewis, whoever's still on on the team. I'm sure, <laughs> still in the group chat. You're in the O line group chat, and everyone's sharing links to all these Russ quotes, throwing you under the bus. Like, what do you, what do you do if you're Dwayne Brown or Damian Brandon, and you see all these quotes? Russ is like, yeah, my guys stink. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, he threw his offensive line under the bus, and that was unfair, <clears throat> and and it could cause a strain, and it could cause some problems. And I think that Russell needs to realize that and try to make do with the offensive lineman because say what you want. I mean, you know, uh, according to ESPN, you know, in the pass blocking uh, win ratio, they were the ninth best. I mean, they were winning 60% of their battles. And sure, at the end, you know, uh, things got a little worse because of the cover two and then Russ holding on to the ball too long. I mean, he's got to take some uh, criticism himself for holding on to the ball too long. I mean, two nine was a two eight two nine seven according to next gen as far as holding the ball uh, on passes and three point three in the playoffs. Can't do it. You got to be able to get rid of the ball faster. That's why the new offense can help, but he's not helping himself by throwing the offensive line under the bus. Yeah, that that was the thing that like I, I obviously Russ speaking out was the first thing that caught my attention, and then maybe some other stuff was like second and third. But maybe like the fourth thing, I was like, man, what is du- what is Dwayne Brown probably doing right now, sitting there holding his his kid on vacation somewhere mm-hmm. like Mexico, and it's just like, yeah, we got to get better protection, you know? Like I've been sacked four hundred times. So I'm like, what? I'm like Dwayne Brown, I'm Dwayne. I'm like, hold on, hold on here, what's going on here? Like no heads mm-hmm. up, you just out here just all over. We ain't do nothing to you, man. Like that's. I'm very curious to see. I don't necessarily have a question here, but I'm curious to see how that goes over uh, with some of those guys. We're a long ways from guys reporting to camp and in person and stuff, but like, how many guys don't return that call when Russ is talking about, "Hey, let's meet up in Cabo and train"? And he's like, "Oh, you, mm-hmm. you love us now, huh? Like you was just on the DP show uh, calling us scrubs, you know, talking about your legacy. What about our legacies, man?" I know it was not good. I mean, uh, that's that's probably the biggest mistake he has. And it's like, uh, you know, it's like, listen, it's like, it's, it's good that you have a voice in different things. But again, you're not the general manager. You're not the coach. You're not making personnel decisions. You can help and you can say a few things, but don't take it too far and don't throw your offensive lineman under the bus or you're going to get sacked 60 times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll be like that uh, that scene in The Longest Yard, the, the Adam Sandler one, not the older one, where, yeah, Adam Sandler pisses off his old lineman and they just, he pisses off the whole team. And the old lineman just let him just get destroyed <laughs> for two plays on third, de- second down, third down, and then he pulls pulls one out of his ass on fourth down. But yeah, no, Russ could be, you know, in a, in a situation like that if he uh, keeps throwing his old lineman under the bus. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you tuning into the Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by the athletic man we appreciate john clayton the local legend the professor the guy who brought the super bowl to this local cbs affiliate in seattle all through his social media feed uh for joining us uh on the show and love when we have that's our first time that was our first time having on yeah Yeah, that's the first time time having having john on man that's a that's some great stuff man we appreciate you guys tuning in uh we'll be uh, back next week um thank you russ for providing us with uh some (laughs) content content. yeah no we got to give a shout out to russ Uh, right or wrong he is a helping us out we are in the content business thank you mr dangerous uh thank you to keep doing it keep up the good work uh, on that note uh we are out Time to your bag and the color on your lip, yeah, you're
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.